Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. First and foremost, I want to thank everybody for reaching out on Sunday and all the kind words for that special tribute episode for my father. It meant so much that everybody listened to it and reached out and let me know what they thought. Uh, Just the fact that even some of you came away with something from it meant the world to me. So thank you so much for that. It made a tough day a really special one. And I can't thank all of the listeners and all the people that interact with me on Twitter enough for all the support and just all the positivity through all this. The baseball community has been really positive, really just a nice community to be a part of. And we've been getting through these tough times and these boring times together. So I'm here to help you continue to get through these with another prospect preview. This time we're getting closer and closer to the top of the list. And it's Jesus Sanchez and Edward Cabrera today. I'm going to start with Jesus Sanchez. I'm going to apologize in advance if I talk a little bit in circles with Jesus Sanchez just because I am in my own internal battle on my opinion on Jesus. I think that the fact that he has a high ceiling and that he has an ability to punish the baseball is undebatable, right? He is going to be a guy that hits the ball hard no matter what. My conundrum, I guess, is how good can he be, and how advanced is he? It seems like a little bit that he's in over his head in AAA, or at least he was this past year, but he eventually was able to hold his own. The reason why I say I, I warn about talking in circles is only because a lot of the advanced statistics, a lot of even the surface-level stats, they all kind of contradict each other. He's a very unique case. But then when you really, really dive into it, you can see a little bit of where the problem lies and a problem that should be fixable if he has the right coaching and makes the right adjustments. But first, we'll just start with what 2019 was for him. So he obviously started the season with the Rays and was really good in double A, but then he got the call up to triple A, struggled in his 17 games and then was traded over to the Marlins. That was the trade for Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards. Marlins, of course, got Sanchez and Ryan Stanek. A great move for the Marlins. I think Nick Anderson is a top-end bullpen arm, but we've seen time and time again how volatile bullpen arms are when you just see how good they are for a couple seasons or even less, and they fall off the face of the earth, especially with the Marlins. I mean, look at Kyle Baraclaw. Even uh, Drew Steckenrider was really good for a good period of time there. Remember the Adam Connolly half a season where he looked like Andrew Miller? There's just so many bullpen arms that just fall off the face of the earth. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Nick Anderson because he has phenomenal stuff, but if you have the chance to cash in on a reliever and get a top 100 prospect, you do it. And the Marlins did a good job of getting Jesus Sanchez there, and they even got a bullpen arm, Ryan Stanek, that's going to be a guy that slots into probably the back end of the bullpen, even though he struggled at the end of last year. So enough of that. More on Sanchez, a 6'3", 230-pound corner outfielder that still moves pretty well, above average speed, especially for his size, strong, physical, still I think not filling out because he's obviously 230 pounds, but he's still getting stronger and tapping into that raw power. His overall stats in 2019, 
He played 113 games, 260 batting average, 325 on base, which is a little bit of a problem in the 398 slugging percentage, also a bit disappointing, but he did slug 13 home runs, 63 runs driven in. The tools, like I said, are very plus. He hits the ball very, very hard. In batting practice, you can just see a guy who punishes the baseball. What are the problems, though, right? If, if he punishes the ball as hard as anybody in the minor leagues, why is he not tapping into it? Well, it, it all starts with launch angle and pitch selection, right? Because you look at the pitch selection, he doesn't walk that much. He walked only about 6.5% of the time in his minor league career, but that is something that has slowly increased, especially in his time with the Marlins, even in that little bit of a bad 18-game stretch in AAA with the Rays before the trade, it bumped up to 8.5%, the walk rate did, and then with the Marlins in his 17 games with the Marlins bumped up to 11.5%. But then even when you look at the 78 games in AA back in 2019 before he got called up to AAA, the walk percentage was right at 7.5%. So it has slowly climbed. I don't know if it's sustainable at 11.5% where he was with the Marlins in those 17 games in AAA, but it's definitely something that has improved. His pitch selection has improved, and the strikeout rate has dropped steadily. Although strikeouts, I don't think, will be a massive problem for, for Sanchez. It did get a little bit bad in that stretch in AAA with the Rays, but overall, he's always hovered around the high teens, sometimes just the low 20s. So strikeouts, not really an issue for him because he has good bat-to-ball skills. The problem is, is it's not always about strikeouts when you talk about pitch selection it's swinging out of the zone or swinging at pitches that you're not going to be able to hit with authority and that's kind of the problem that overarches with the ground ball percentage issue and the launch angle because he's attacking pitches that he cannot lift which in turn of course is going to affect your launch angle so overall last season a 50 percent ground ball rate which is not ideal not terrible but it was pretty much put back into a decent spot because of his 73 game stint in double a where his ground ball percentage was at 47 percent but then when he got the call up to triple a it was at 63.6 percent with the rays but then with the marlins got it back down to 44 percent which was a very good sign just for perspective the mlb average for all players is about 44 percent so when you consider a power hitter like jesus sanchez you want to see him 44% or under in terms of ground ball percentage. So obviously even 47 was a bit too high, but that was okay with the numbers he was able to put up. And that's still acceptable for something that could translate to at least a decent season. But when you get into the 60s, you're not going to have a very good year. And that's why it was not surprising with that 18-game stint in AAA that Jesus Sanchez hit only 206 and only hit one home run. But then he comes to the Marlins, gets it back down to 44%, like I said, and in 17 games, he slugs four home runs and hits much better at 246. Both those, so those 35 games in AAA across both the Rays and the Marlins, though, his batting average was suppressed by a very low BABIP. So he was definitely a little bit unlucky with the Rays at 279 BABIP. And then with the Marlins, a 250 BAVIP. And with the Marlins, his average was 40 points higher. So you can imagine that it would have been even better if he had a little bit better luck. So it has to be encouraging that he was able to figure things out a little bit more with the Marlins because your first 18 games in AAA, 
you're not going to expect a guy to just hit the ground running, especially because he was very young for AAA. He had still been 21 at the time, I'm pretty sure. And obviously that's much younger than most of his competition. He was able to ascend through the minor leagues very quickly because of his ability to punish the baseball. But as he got to the higher levels, his first stint in double A, it was a little bit rough for him because he could not handle the velocity as well. Hit just 214 in 27 games in 2018. But then he comes back to start the season in double A in 2019 and has a great year with the Rays starting the season in double A with those 78 games. He slugs eight home runs, hits 275 and a 332 on base percentage, 404 slugging percentage. I know I'm throwing a lot of stats at you because he bounced around so much from double A in 2019 to triple A with the Rays, then triple A with the Marlins, and all of those stints have a different story. But again, he is a hitter that seems to be comfortable adjusting after a little bit of a taste at that level, and that's largely because of the inability at times to catch up to velocity. That is paired with his little bit of launch angle issues and his pitch selection, which all can kind of mesh together as one larger issue, which is not a bad thing because that means as he addresses it, they will all improve. The pitch selection, like I said, that could largely be part of the fact that he's not able to catch up Excuse me, to those higher velocities, catches him cheating a little bit and having to make decisions sooner. And then you look at other things like the launch angle and his swing has always been a little bit off. That can also correlate with pitch selection. But again, that's also something that just has to do with mechanics. And it's pretty much a consensus idea here that if he's able to improve the pitch selection and the launch angle, that he has a all-star ceiling. That has been said by just about every single prospect analyst that I've read from, every single website. They see pretty much a 280-30 home run ceiling, if not better, for Jesus Sanchez. And that's pretty understandable when you see how hard he punishes the ball from the left side of the plate as a corner outfielder and projects as a plus defender. So how does Jesus Sanchez tap into this? Well, we talk about the ground ball percentage, something he needs to address. A little bit of bad luck last year in the pitch selection, but it's going to come down to those adjustments that he can make. And why do I think that there's a decent chance that he can make these adjustments is James Rousen. He was the Twins hitting coach last year. Marlins bring him in as a bench coach. Of course, he's not going to be doing everything with the hitters, but he definitely will have an effect. And Rousen, if you listen to his interviews with the Twins, he is a very, very unique type of coach that will be very specific to each hitter. He is a really, really special baseball mind. And if you see anything that any Twins hitter said last year about him, they really enjoyed having him and they're really going to miss him. But his approach was very interesting. He is not a guy that emphasizes launch angles. It doesn't mean that it's not something that ends up being a result of what he teaches, but he was a very individualized coach where each player, he was able to say, okay, this is his words. Where is your barrel best in the zone? And how do we address that? Also, what are the thoughts in your swing? What are the ways that I can convey the message to you that resonates more with you than the other guys? Because a lot of hitting coaches are known for, at least the more older hitting coaches, are all known for their one thing, which is probably the worst thing ever, right? Oh, this coach likes to do this with his players. This coach likes to do this with his players with their swing. That's the worst thing you can do because baseball is not a cookie cutter sport. There's not one way 
to approach the baseball. Everyone has their own little way of doing it. Ultimately, you want to get to the same place, but it's such a individualized sport with the way people approach things. That's why you don't see one stance or one way of loading or getting to your swing. Ultimately, you're all trying to achieve the same goal, and that's what Rousen was able to do. It's no fluke that the Twins had the best launch angle in 2019 and led the MLB in home runs. The Marlins had the worst launch angle, and they were towards the bottom, if not last, in the league with home runs. So while Rousen insists that he doesn't emphasize launch angle, it's a byproduct of what he teaches in helping players maximize their ability to barrel the ball and find the best spot in the zone for them and emphasize it. If Rousen is able to do that with Jesus Sanchez, he will be terrifying with his bat speed, elite bat speed, and his raw power. And that will help him tap into the power. So I'm betting on Rousen being able to help Jesus Sanchez. That being said, they might not interact too much with each other because I do think Sanchez should spend a lot more time, not a lot more time, but at least a majority of this season, if not all of it, in AAA. There's no reason to rush him. He's 22 years old. The Marlins still have to figure out what's going on with Lewis Brinson. They need to see what Monte Harrison can do, and he's probably going to start the year in AAA, and they still have to figure out Garrett Cooper and whether Jonathan VR is going to play in the outfield. There's a lot to sort out, and for now, there's no reason to rush, rush Jesus Sanchez anyways. So let him take his time in AAA. Let him make his adjustments. And there's no better place to get used to lifting the ball than the PCL because that is just where the dividends are paid out for lifting the ball. Look at Eisen Diaz. Look at just so many players that benefited so much from lifting the baseball. And Jesus Sanchez could really get into a habit of lifting the ball. And that would be something that really helps him out and really translates to the big leagues. So those are the big things that he needs to adjust, and that is something that will help him at the next level. On the other side of the break, I will be talking about Edward Cabrera, one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball, really. The tools are off the chart. I'm excited to talk about him. Stay with me on the other side of the break. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So now on to one of my favorite prospects that might be in all of baseball, to be honest, because of just how quickly he has improved his incredible tools. It's Edward Cabrera. He is just so exciting to me. He's a great story. Only signed for $100,000 out of the DR in 2015. There were some, I will give Adam McInturf of 2080 Baseball. He was on Edward Cabrera way back in 2017, I want to say 
when the numbers were not great, but the stuff was there. And he said this guy could be really, really good. At the time, I hadn't seen much of Edward Cabrera. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll keep an eye on him. And sure enough, he really figured it out in 2019. Across single A and double A, he was 9-4 and four with a 2-2-3 ERA in 96 and two-thirds innings, punched out 116, and a whip of just .99. Love to see the sub-1 whip. As for his arsenal, a heavy mid-90s fastball is what Baseball America refers to it as that can touch triple digits, but as a lot of different scouts have said, and I've, from what I've seen in the time that I've watched Edward Cabrera pitch, as he tries to dial it up a little bit more, he tends to struggle with the command, which is a pretty normal and natural thing that he could probably iron out as he matures, but at the same time, he's fine with a mid-90s fastball that has natural sink. But he does top out at about 99 to 100 if he really reaches back. But usually in games 93 to 95, 6, maybe he'll touch a 7. He's got a slurvish type of slider, curveball. It's more like a slider, uh, but it's only at 82 to 85 miles per hour. So that's why I say a slurve. It's not quite as hard as a slider, but it's got more of that slider break. And that's a pitch that is above average. It's not plus quite yet. But it is a pitch that he can continue to harness, maybe get a few more miles per hour on it or a little bit more depth in the break will help him a lot more in making that pitch a plus pitch. And then again, kind of a similar story with the changeup. It is good enough to change the speed on hitters, but not quite good enough to be a plus pitch or even a well above average pitch because it's right at about 88 to 90. So it's a little bit too firm, but it still does the job. However, if Edward Cabrera is able to advance that changeup, he will be devastating. When you talk about a pitcher with a heavy sinker-like fastball in the mid to high 90s, then he can switch it up on you with a changeup that could drop off the table. Uh, That is devastating, and that's top-of-the-rotation ace type of stuff to pair with a above-average slurve type of slider. So that would be the mostly the arsenal for him. The changeup is what I'm really counting on for Edward Cabrera to work on. That's one of the hardest pitches for a hitter and one of the hardest pitches for a pitcher to master. But at just 21 years old, he'll be 22 this upcoming season. He's got plenty of time to figure that out. I'm assuming he'll start in double A. So what makes Edward Cabrera so good? Obviously, with that arsenal, it's understandable. He's 6'4", 175 pounds. I think he's sneaky tall. People don't realize how tall he is. And... He is able to combine, which is very rare in the big leagues and baseball in general, a good ground ball rate with a good strikeout rate. That is really, really hard to find. How hard to find? Well, when you consider it's his double A stats took a little bit of a hit, but if you combine the two, his ground ball and strikeout rate were over 45% ground ball percentage, over 28% with the strikeout percentage. The only guys in the big leagues to do that last year, it's a pretty special list. It's Clayton Kershaw, Charlie Morton, Hugh Darvish, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, Steven Strasburg, and Luis Castillo. That, Those are all top of the rotation arms. Top of the rotation arms right there. And I'm not saying that he's going to be them, but there's a factor with the combination of ground ball percentage and strikeout percentage that just indicates a good chance of success. It's two things that you love to have. He's obviously not going to be a ground ball pitcher in the big leagues, and none of those guys consider themselves ground ball pitchers that I just named. 
but they have great strikeout stuff. And the fact that they're able to locate well, they have some sinking action on their fastballs or are able to induce a lot of ground balls. It's just a factor for success because you're not always going to punch out 10 batters in a game. And sometimes if your stuff's off, you need to be able to get ground balls. You need to be able to count on your defense. Marlins are set up to be a very good defensive team for the future. And that's something that should work out very well. Edward Cabrera will continue to see spikes in his strikeout rate, though, as he hopefully harnesses in on that changeup, like I said earlier. So as for last year, he was phenomenal in A-ball, really just earned that promotion, wasn't expected to see him stay there very long after the start he got off to. He made 11 starts in 58 innings. He had a strikeout per nine innings rate of 11.33. He only gave up one home run in 58 innings and the FIP at 2.2. It's just dazzling numbers from him there. And the fact that he was able to put up good numbers in double A still too, he pitched 38 and two thirds innings in double A, still struck out 10 per nine. The walks went up a little bit. You figure maybe he was trying to do a little bit too much as the competition improved. He was well under the average age in double A. The only concern, I wouldn't even say concern, is the FIP because the FIP is at 433 in double A. But when you look at it, it might have been a little bit of bad luck because he gives up six home runs in 38 and two thirds innings in that stint versus the one home run in 58 innings, and he walked a few more batters. That's a very huge byproduct to boost your FIP up a little bit. But the numbers on the outside are good, and it might have been a little bit of luck because he stranded 89.9% of runners, which is probably not sustainable. He's typically around 71%. But that was something that is a factor that he has the guts, and he can get out of situations with his elite stuff. For him, it's always going to be working off of that fastball with the heavy movement it has, with the velocity he's able to run it up to, and the fact that he was able to really tap into that command and really work on his ability, because that was the concern in the beginning. He was walking a lot of batters. In 2018, he walked nearly four batters per nine innings in A-ball, and then this past year in high A, only walked just 2.79. So obviously a great improvement. Home runs were never an issue for him. He had never given up more than one home run per nine innings until that stint in double A. So it's just a 21-year-old pitcher in double A. That's going to happen. Not too worried about it. His other numbers were still solid. The strikeout rate dropped a little bit, but he got even more ground balls in double A. The ground ball rate was up to almost 50%. And the ERA still stayed at 2.56. Like I said, probably because he was able to strand a lot of runners. But you still got to be encouraged from that. And the fact that he still only gave up 28 hits in 38 and plus innings. So it wasn't like he was getting knocked around the yard. The problem is just of those 28 hits, six of them were home runs. So that's a large chunk of them being home runs. But I'm not concerned about that. The other thing, too, you talk about the walks, just to put it in perspective, 58 innings, 18 walks in A ball, 38 innings, 13 walks in double A. So probably trying to do a little bit too much. He had 11 wild pitches in double A versus zero in A ball. Again, probably trying to do too much. Not worried about it. A lot of young players getting into double A are going to try to do too much. I think the fact that he threw 11 wild pitches versus zero in almost half the innings is a good indicator of that. But as for Edwards' ceiling, sky's the limit. I think he's got ace potential with the fact that he's six foot four, already has the stuff that he has. 
175 pounds. He could fill out some more. And the strikeout numbers paired with the ground ball rate, phenomenal. And people like to compare him to Sixto. It's a natural thing, right? You're going to compare the two best pitching prospects in the Marlins system. They're two righties that throw high velocity, have good stuff, and have high ceilings. But just because you think one might be better than the other doesn't mean that the other one won't be good. I think both of them will be fantastic pitchers in the big leagues. I think Edward Cabrera is starting to look like the better pitching prospect. I know I have Sixto at the top of the list, but just slowly as we're seeing this, he is becoming the more projectable, potentially, prospect in the system. The only thing is that Sixto has the track record. So I don't want to compare the two like to knock down Sixto because Edward put up an incredible season last year. Sixto was great last year, and I will get into him in the following episodes. But for the ceiling with Edward's stuff, Edward has not, knock on wood, had any health issues, and he is still working on the command. We've already seen what Sixto can do with his good command, he hasn't quite been able to put up the strikeout numbers that Edward has been able to have. I would be safer betting on Edward Cabrera improving his command than Sixto maybe improving his strikeout numbers much more, though I do think he does have some room for improvement there. So with Edward, it's just a matter of the command and a matter of working on those secondary pitches that are already good. They're already major league caliber. He already has that floor of being a middle of the rotation arm. I don't think there's much bullpen risk with Edward Cabrera, though if he did get moved to the bullpen, he would be an electric back end, probably closer. Don't even want to put that thought out there, though, because to me, already now, with the improved command and his ability to strike batters out and get ground balls, the ground balls is the big thing that mitigates the bullpen risk. He is a high floor, middle of the rotation arm with the possibility of being an ace, to to be honest. I don't think that's a lofty, lofty expectation for him at this point. And this year will be a huge indicator now pitching a full season in double A where the numbers are a little wonky and a little bit concerning, but on the surface still looked okay. That's going to be the big thing now, 22 years old, pitching however many games they're going to play in double A. Assuming he probably gets a call to AAA as he gets a little bit better. How does he pitch in the PCL with the ball carrying a lot more over there? Again, emphasis on the ground ball rates. But then the home runs, he gave up a lot of home runs last year in AA, like I said. So the PCL could be an even bigger problem in AAA with giving up more home runs. So we'll see how that fares for him. We'll see what happens. But he's got to be one of the most exciting young arms, not only in the Marlins system, but in all of baseball, really, he's underrated because of the lack of track record, like I said. But this is a guy that you will see shoot up onto the radars of a bunch of teams. We saw the same thing happen with Luis Castillo. Didn't have the track record, figured it out, and started to really put together nice seasons with electric stuff. And all of a sudden, he's considered a top prospect in baseball. And then even more so, he is considered a top pitcher in the National League. So Edward Cabrera could easily follow in those footsteps, and I would not be surprised whatsoever. Thank you for listening. As always, we will have a MLB draft, a really in-depth MLB draft two-part episode coming up very soon. So please feel free to shoot me your questions on that, and there will be a lot more content coming out this week. Thank you as always for listening. I will talk to you all tomorrow.